Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message is the epistle lesson, St. Peter speaking about a living hope. Well, a man approached a Little League baseball game and he watched the action for a little bit and he saw a guy in the dugout and said, okay, what's the score? And the boy responded, 18 to nothing and we're behind. And the man said, oh, you guys must really be discouraged. And the little boy said, discouraged? What? We haven't even been up to bat yet. <laughs> the little boy had hope, right? And we like to have hope, but it's interesting to think about hope. Hope is a word that is used in our world, and hope is a word that is used in Scripture. And in those two different contexts, it takes on two different meanings. The idea that we have hope in this world often is a wish. A worse wish often in the face of uh, opposite experience or opposite situations. Kind of like, I hope it doesn't rain even as I see the, the clouds gathering for a storm. The idea of hope in this world is the idea of something that may happen or it may not happen, but it's something I want to happen. Well, the hope that Peter speaks about is the hope of eternal life. It's a hope that's connected with the resurrection. It's a hope that is certain. And it's the hope that we truly need to have. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to go back over what Peter says about this living hope and see how it is different than the hope that the world offers. It is a hope that is absolutely, positively certain. So we go back to the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter is clear. And what a wonderful message for us to have the second Sunday of the Easter season, that we have a hope. And notice Paul says that this is, or Peter says, this is tied to the resurrection. It's a result of Easter, and it's given to us in our baptism. Because he says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we have a hope that is ours, that is guaranteed, because it is tied to the Lord's resurrection, and it's given to us in baptism. And it is a hope that we need, is it not? You don't have to look at the world too hard to see that the world needs hope. We see tragedy after tragedy, we see storms, we see death, we see shootings. We can go on and on with the whole list of all those things that would discourage us in our life. And so the world needs hope. And the world does try to find hope. But, but the hope the world finds or looks to, that we also sometimes look to, is, is a hope that will disappoint. Think about those things that were that we look to for, for hope. We often look to, to people as, for hope. We look to change as hope. Think about an election, the idea of the hope that surrounds an election. The, 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 the candidates promise a new direction. They promise hope. But does it really happen? Think about the excitement of a, a brand new year. New Year's Eve and you're setting on a new year. You put the old year behind, all the bad things that happened that year. And now a new year begins, fresh and new, and new things are going to happen. Or you start a new job, new people, new context. The atmosphere is going to be different. You move to a new place, everything's going to be better. But is it? When we tie our hope to the people around us, when we tie our hope to just change for change, does it really bring us what we want? 
Sometimes those changes are good. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes those, those changes are beneficial. But there's no guarantee, is there? That things are going to get better? What happens if they get worse? Can't that also happen with change? We see that we are connecting our hope so often in the world with something that, that is not a guarantee. And the world, that reason that, that the people and change cannot offer us hope is because it's always tied to sin. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's new teachers, uh, new co-workers, a new politician, a uh, new community. The people are sinners. And we're still sinners. It doesn't matter what change takes place in this world. It's still a sinful world. Our hope cannot be placed on things that are imperfect. For otherwise, our hope is imperfect. And that's what Paul's trying to get across. That, that the hope that we have now in the resurrection isn't just a wish, it's a promise. A promise of eternal life, as Paul says. And it's dependent upon a God who is all-powerful and almighty. That, that's why it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. Because it doesn't rest on this world. It doesn't rest on you or me. It rests on a Lord who has risen his son from the dead and has given it to you now. We have an eternal hope, a hope of eternal life that is ours, that is indeed by God, guaranteed as a promise to us. But let's go back to the text. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than that of gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul, excuse me, Peter tells us what this hope is. By God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. This is the hope that we have, a salvation that will indeed be revealed for all eternity. And notice how Peter reminds us that we're guarded, that we need to be protected in this life. And he goes on to talk about various trials and the testing. Again, that's what we need to recognize. In this world, our faith and our hope will be tested. We'll be tested by forces on the outside who attack our faith and attack our understanding. Peter experienced that right in our first lesson, where, where he was attacked and he said was arrested and he was beaten and told not to preach about Christ. That's an attack coming from the outside world. And doesn't the world tell us to either stop our preaching or to change our preaching to fit more what the world would want to hear? The Christian faith is under attack because Christ himself was always under attack. But sometimes the, the greater threat is the threat that lies within. It's not just attacked. Our hope and our faith aren't attacked by outside forces alone, but they're attacked from within with doubt, wondering, and don't we see that with Thomas? Thomas had been told by our Lord that he would rise from the dead before he died. Thomas was told by the women that Jesus was alive. Thomas was told by the disciples that they had seen him living. And yet Thomas said, I need to see it. I need to touch it for me to believe. He doubted. That doubt comes from within, that, that sinful nature. And, and again, isn't that a danger for us? especially when things aren't exactly the way that we picture them. When we go through various trials and tribulations, various difficulties that test our faith, 
Isn't the temptation to wonder, is God there? Does God love me? Will God provide? And as I said before, the hope of the world is not going to stand that trial. It's not going to stand under the pressure of the world or our sinful nature. It can't stand that trial because it's tied to sin. It's tied to sinful people in a sinful world and it will disappoint. But Peter reminds us that the hope and the faith that is based on Christ, his resurrection, and the promises of God, that does stand the trial of testing. That does prove to be genuine. Because it is a hope that rests on one who has dealt with sin. Isn't that what we celebrated last week? Isn't that what we celebrate each week? That Christ has triumphed over the grave, and not only the grave, and not only the devil, but sin itself. And if he has conquered sin, can he not give us the promise of eternal life that more is more than a wish, but is a true promise of God. And also keep in mind that that first part here, that by God's power are being guarded by faith, that while we await the fullness of this hope, we still have the promises of God of his presence to guard and protect us because he knows the trials that we will endure. He knows what we will go through. And as we do this and as we rely upon him, our faith does indeed grow. It, It becomes more powerful it is tested and then the faith is more precious and, and re- results in the praise and glory, glory of God as we continue to rely upon him again and again we again see God's grace and his love and our faith for him increases but now the last section though you have not seen him you love him though you do not see him now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here we see the description of hope that, that leads to salvation. It's a hope not based on sight. We haven't seen the Lord as Peter had. It's a hope based on faith. It's a hope tied to God's promises. It's, it's a hope of, of certainty, not a wish. It will indeed happen. And we're able to have this hope even though we have not seen it. Because our Lord has given us the faith to believe it. Again, go back to the very first section where it talked about a living hope that's given to us as we are born again. As we are brought into the faith, we are given the ability to love Him, believe in Him, trust in Him, and we are given the hope of eternal life. Our Lord makes it possible for us to trust in Him. That's what it was with Peter. Our Lord gave Peter the ability to, to trust in Him and proclaim the gospel even in the face of opposition. The Lord appeared to Thomas once again and strengthened him in his faith to trust so that he could say, this is my God and my Lord. That same Lord is at work in your heart, enabling you to rejoice. Isn't it striking that Pope Peter speaks about various trials and being guarded for salvation? And then in the next section he talks about joy, rejoicing with joy. That we have a joy of our faith because our inheritance is secure. Our salvation has been made. We will receive it. This is a living hope that daily we rejoice in the gifts that God has given us. Our life and salvation and all we possess now. We rejoice in the face of trial knowing that the Lord is the victor. He's already conquered sin and death. And we're part of that victory. We rejoice that our faith will continue to be strengthened. We rejoice as we know what awaits us the eternal life and love that God has promised. Again, as we look at this text, it's important for us to see how our Lord uses that term hope. The hope that you have in Christ is not just simply a wish that may or may not happen. 
It is a promise of God that will happen. A promise spoken by the Lord is as good as finished. That's why our Lord could come in on Palm Sunday and celebrate the victory a week before his resurrection. God's promises are true. Your hope of eternal life, your hope of a living Lord that would live with you is tied to the fact that the Lord has indeed risen. He is a risen Lord. And the certainty of his resurrection gives you hope now and forever. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding guide our hearts and minds to true faith to life everlasting. Amen.